Who doesn't love animals? I bet if I challenged you right now to name your top five animals, most of you would be able to do it. Heck, for some like me, it might even be a bit of a challenge to name just five. With so much love going to all the fauna friends out there, I wanted to know a little about the wild world that's right outside my back door. And it turns out, I'm not alone. One of our listeners had a very similar question. James Brucker asked us about birdwatching, as well as other kinds of wildlife one might find in an urban setting. Last week, my colleague Kaylee Monahan answered the first half of that question. If you're a fan of birdwatching, or are just curious about the birds here in Arizona, and you haven't checked that episode out, I highly recommend it. Today, however, we're going to focus on the wider, more general part of that question. And I wanted to go just a little bit further with it too, to talk about the animals near our homes that maybe aren't doing so well. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm audio producer Thomas France, and today I'm going to be seeking out the animals across Arizona that are native to the state. But I'm not just going to list them off for you. We're going to learn which Arizona animals are under threat, and what's being done to protect them. Now, just to be clear, What kinds of animals are native to Arizona is a big question. Even narrowing it down to talk about endangered species leaves us with an estimated 44 different kinds of animals that are currently registered as either endangered or threatened. Under the Endangered Species Act, there are two levels. Threatened is the first level. Endangered is the second, and it's far worse. Endangered is one step removed from extinct. I say there's an estimated amount, because some species can be hard to keep track of accurately. To help with that, the Arizona Game and Fish Department splits up its responsibilities into six different sections. Reptiles, amphibians, fish, birds, mammals, and invertebrates. I caught up virtually with Tom Jones, the Amphibians and Reptiles Program Manager for Arizona Game and Fish. We started by answering a small portion of James Brucker's question from earlier. What kinds of animals can you see in the city? There are a variety of toads that get into the urban environment. There's a little toad called a couch's spadefoot toad that you can even find in central Phoenix in some cases. Most of these toads breed during the monsoon and their calls could be very loud and often very annoying to some people. It's music to my ears, but not to everybody's. There's a Great Plains toad that's another animal that folks will often see, especially on the edge of agricultural lands in the outskirts of town. 
But there are a variety of snakes that occur in the urban environment, gopher snakes and coach whip snakes that are harmless and common. King snakes are another one that are fairly common in the urban environment. There's actually a, a fairly long list of amphibians and reptiles that one might encounter in the urban areas. Tom naturally focused on the reptiles and amphibians, and we'll get into the endangered species program in just a bit. But first, for more on urban wildlife, I spoke virtually with Stéphane Poulin, director of living collections at the Sonora Desert Museum in Tucson. Coyote is an example that gets all over the place. They show up in an unexpected area just by using these networks of alleys and, and uh, different uh, open space areas. Uh, javelinas are another one that tends to do that a lot. Raptors like falcons or hawks will nest in urban setting because food is abundant. Lots of introduced birds and lots of rodents available for them. A lot of recovery effort was were done in urban setting because they would feed on pigeons and they would nest on skyscraper that represented unnatural cliff settings. So a lot of peregrine falcon, you know, did well in urban environments. Obviously, it's never going to be like the wild, but often planners and areas developer can do a little bit of manipulation on how the land is used and what's available and wildlife finds a way. I'm simply saying that life uh, finds a way. Thank you, Mr. Goldblum. But sometimes life needs our help, which is why these and other programs exist. Tom's work with reptiles and amphibians at AZ Game and Fish felt like there's currently a lot to be optimistic about. One of the species that we've been working on for quite a while is the Chiricahua leopard frog. That's Chiricahua like the Chiricahua Mountains in southeastern Arizona. We've been working hard to help recover that species so that it no longer requires listing under the Endangered Species Act. Got a great partnership with the Phoenix Zoo. We raise them in captivity and then we use those animals to establish populations in the wild. We also do habitat restoration work, try and improve habitats so that they're better for, for Chiricahua leopard frogs. And we also remove invasive species, in this case, American bullfrogs that are a huge threat to Chiricahua leopard frogs. Bullfrogs are not native to Arizona. They were brought here to be hunted for sport, something I had never heard of. Unfortunately, they breed like crazy and will eat anything they can fit into their mouths, including the Chiricahua leopard frog. Bullfrogs also carry an extremely virulent fungal disease that kills a lot of different species of frogs, except the bullfrog itself. Chytridiomycosis, it's been a real problem for many decades, and it's one of the reasons that Chiricahua leopard frogs are as rare as they are today, because of this disease that somehow got introduced into Arizona probably in the late 1970s and the early 80s. That's not to say that bullfrogs brought this d disease to Arizona. We don't know that. We don't know how it got here. But we do know that bullfrogs help spread it now. Part of Tom and his team's efforts include removing bullfrogs from areas that the leopard frog can thrive in. Then they can reintroduce them, sometimes 
in a really fascinating way. We can move egg masses. Frogs will lay a globular egg mass that will contain up to about 500 eggs. So we can just lift an egg mass out of the water and move it someplace else and put it in. And that's 500 individuals you've put in already. And it's worked. We actually started in the late 1990s, but we've been doing it in earnest since the early 2000s. And since this species was listed, I think we can safely say that we've increased populations in the wild by about 400%, give or take. That's an incredible feat. But there's still a long way to go on the road to being considered a recovered species. Tom used an emergency room as a metaphor. By the time a person is ill or injured to the point of needing an emergency room, their recovery is inevitably going to take a while, even if they get the best care possible. The same holds true for animals. By the time they need to be classified as endangered or threatened, recovery will take that much longer than if the decline had been caught ahead of time. Luckily, AZ Game & Fish has a lot of partners in helping them. Companies and nonprofit organizations contribute in different ways to help conserve these animals. U of A and ASU, as well as other schools like NAU, provide research into ways to help boost the Chiricahua leopard frog, while also figuring out the most ecological way to remove bullfrogs. Some are working to combat the fungal disease prevalent in frog populations. Currently, there is no one miracle cure for them. With all this support, it's easy to be optimistic about the Chiricahua leopard frog, but it's important to remember there's still a lot to do. We're out there fighting for our native species. Uh, you know, these are the ones that aren't traditionally hunted or fished. So they don't get as much attention oftentimes as some of the more obvious animals that, that the public sees. The public is familiar with things like elk and deer, but they're not as familiar with these, these animals like amphibians and reptiles. So for the public to know that these are important parts of our natural heritage and that we're out there, the Arizona Game and Fish Department is working hard to conserve them. Stefan, at the Sonoran Desert Museum, oversees several projects doing good work for our animal neighbors. He told me about a few of them when we spoke. So the Desert Museum is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. We have been uh, quite involved with different species that are either threatened or endangered, or species that are not doing well and we hope they don't get threatened or endangered. We spend a lot of time working with the Mexican garter snake. In about 2005, 2007, there's a group of organization in Arizona, the Phoenix Zoo, us here at the uh, Desert Museum, and other uh, groups in Arizona decided to work on a couple of snakes that were in trouble. At the time, they were not listed officially, but since then, they become threatened. Stefan and his team have bred and released several hundreds of babies into the Santa Cruz River, 
one of the native ranges for the Mexican garter snake. They've also been working on helping a tiny snail the size of a pepper grain that is currently not listed under the Endangered Species Act, but they could be very soon. Part of the problem is the current drought, as well as their habitat inexplicably losing water. The snail shares that habitat with another project under the Sonoran Desert Museum. The Sonoran mud turtle, also some people will know them as Kitabikito mud turtle. So down in Oregon Pipe Park, there is a spring right at the border called uh, Kitabikito Spring. And in that particular environment, there's animals that have been isolated because they don't have a lot of places to go. And the mud turtle found in that area, the Sonoida mud turtle, is a, a species that's listed because that's the only place in the United States. These are in big trouble because of water level dropping and less and less habitat. Arizona Game and Fish with the Park Service decided to rescue a bunch of turtles, pull them out of there until they could figure out what the issues are and why we're losing water. The plan right now is to keep them in captivity until a solution for the drainage can be worked out. The team at the museum successfully bred turtle hatchlings recently, and they hope to release them back into the pool where their parents came from, either during the next monsoon season or next spring. Part of the problem is that water has the tendency to erode its surroundings. Over time, cracks formed at the bottom of the pond, allowing more and more of it to drain away. But an even bigger problem reared its head not long ago. There was a beautiful cottonwood that was there for a long, long time, hundreds of years probably. And the cottonwood reached the end of life and what happened is the cottonwood had created a network of root system through the bottom of the pond. So when the tree died, it created escape route and water was able to leave the pond much faster. More recently, a lot of sub-level, subsurface water pumping along the border for projects that will <laughs> remain nameless at this point has affected the amount of water into the pond. According to Stefan, the pond is able to maintain its water levels as long as we continue to have good rains during monsoon season. There's a spring nearby that feeds into the pool to help combat the drainage as well. Stefan told me that the last few years have been better, and they're hoping to keep that up. You might be a little more familiar with one of the animals that the Sonoran Desert Museum had a hand in in the past. The Mexican Grey Wolf. The Desert Museum was strongly involved in the early age of the Mexican Grey Wolf. A lot of them ended up here at the museum. We did some initial breeding earlier on in the project. Later on, we became more of a resource and a place to hold wolves that were not releasable. What we've done is we've housed animals that are non-reproductive anymore. So older wolves, when they start to get 10, 12 years old, they're normally removed from the program, but they need a place to live. So the museum has exhibited older animals for probably the last 10, 
15 years has been the case that we haven't reproduced any at the Desert Museum. Interestingly, the Mexican gray wolf's biggest problem is not habitat related. As a predator, not everyone enjoyed the reintroduction efforts. Some went so far as to kill the wolves when they threatened their livestock. There were programs at one point to incentivize farmers by offering financial support in case of any losses. AZ Game and Fish also had ways of educating the public on why these wolves are so important to a complete ecosystem. These wolves serve as a mild source of tourism too, given that they are so rare. Stefan told me that some portion of people may come to Arizona with hopes of seeing a wolf in the wild. Both the Sonoran Desert Museum and AZ Game and Fish partner with the Phoenix Zoo for some of their projects. Given that, I just had to visit the program I heard so much about. Dr. Tara Harris, Director of Conservation and Science, sat down with me in her office near the Mount Graham Red Squirrel Room to tell me a little bit about the animals they work with. Here at the Phoenix Zoo's Johnson Conservation Center, we work with 10 species that are native to Arizona, and all of them are of conservation concern. Many of them are threatened or endangered, and we try to use our zoo-based skills to help our conservation partners recover these species. So whether that's breeding them for a release or maybe taking in a vulnerable life stage from the wild and raising them up to a less vulnerable stage and releasing them back to the wild, or just trying to figure out how to even care for them in human care. Tara uses her background and expertise in conservation to brainstorm ways that the zoo can work collectively with different groups on where to go. A lot of the time in conservation, it's a question of what needs to be done versus what can be done. It's a bit like a puzzle involving resources. She thinks in big picture terms about where we are currently in conservation and what the next steps are going to be. As mentioned before, one of the animals the zoo works with is a subspecies of Fremont squirrel found only on Mount Graham in the Pinaleño mountain range. We've been working with Mount Graham red squirrels since 2011 when we brought them in as part of an emergency action. And we've been trying to figure out how to breed them here in our care. And this past year, we revamped our entire housing situation for them to hopefully promote more natural behaviors and breeding. And we're really encouraged by what we're seeing and really hopeful that we're going to have pups for the first time this year. If they are successful, the next steps will be working out a plan for reintroduction. According to Tara, there's one extremely tragic problem in trying to help these little critters. Wildfire is an especially big threat to them, and in 2017, the Fry Fire went through the habitat that they live in on the top of Mount Graham and just decimated it. And after that, the census showed that perhaps only 35 were remaining. 
So you can see how dire the situation is. And so that's why we've been working so hard to figure out how to breed them here so that we can have individuals to put back out into the wild. As of the last survey, the numbers have gone back up slightly to 156. So progress is definitely being made, but hopes for the Mount Graham red squirrel rests squarely on the Phoenix Zoo. We are currently the only ones in the world that are trying to breed the Mount Graham red squirrel in human care. So we're having to kind of figure it out by ourselves. We can use some information from other closely related red squirrels that have been bred in human care and try to figure out, you know, if we can adapt to what they did to try and be successful here. And so that's what we're trying right now. And yeah, we're feeling really excited about it. The squirrels are kept away from human contact as much as possible. But Tara let me see the camera keeping an eye on them. A group of the fuzziest little round things in the world curled up for a nap together. They were so jumbled together, I couldn't even count how many were on the screen she showed me. Earlier, Tom Jones with AZ Game and Fish mentioned partnering with the zoo on the Chiricahua leopard frog. Tara told me a little bit about why that is one of the programs they're most proud of. We've been working on that program with our partners at Arizona Game and Fish, Fish and Wildlife Service, and the Forest Service for more than 25 years now. And we've produced over 27,000 Chiricahua leopard frogs that have gone back to the wild. When the recovery plan was published for this species, there were only about 40 sites in Arizona that had Chiricahua leopard frogs. And in the last five years or so, that reached a high of about 155. We can't take credit for all of that. You know, there are lots of other people doing important work, but we can feel good that putting all those frogs back out into the landscape in places that needed them has helped the hopeful recovery of Chiricahua leopard frog. Finally, I just had to talk to Tara about what could be the cutest endangered Arizona native, the black-footed ferret. This is an animal that was once thought to be extinct by the 1970s. Their primary food source, prairie dogs, had been widely exterminated by people, and prairie land was diminishing. But Tara told me the story of how the black-footed ferret was rediscovered. A ranch dog named Shep rediscovered the species, and I got to hear it from the family that helped rediscover them. And what they told me, this is the hog family in Matitsi, Wyoming, is that in the middle of the night, Shep the dog was making a ruckus out in the yard, and so John Hogg, the owner, went out to see what was going on, and he found that Shep had killed a weasel. And so he didn't think anything of it, threw it over the fence, went back to bed. But his wife, Lucille, asked him what it was, and she made him go fetch it because she wanted something pretty for her mantle. They took the weasel to a taxidermist so Lucille could have her new mantle decoration. He realized right away that this was no ordinary pest. The state and federal biologists came in and were looking everywhere to find out where this species was. 
and they finally found it on the neighboring Pitchfork Ranch and were able to find a colony there of more than 100 individuals and set up shop, started studying them, and over time, the population started crashing. And so they suspected disease. They weren't completely sure what exactly was going on, but they had to make a really tough decision whether to let nature be, let them live out their lives on the ranch, whatever happens, happens, or whether to capture them all up and bring them into human care and try to breed them. They captured 18 of them. Of those 18, only seven successfully produced offspring. All current black-footed ferrets, except one, are descended from those seven ancestors. The Phoenix Zoo has been working since the early 1990s to revamp the population. In that time, they've produced 500 kits, with their most successful year being in 2021, when they bred 27 in one breeding season. Of those 27 that were welcomed here to the Phoenix Zoo, 13 of them got released to the wild. The remainder remain in the breeding program. They have valuable genetics, and so they might stay here or they might go to one of the other five facilities that we work with. Then this year, we welcomed 21 kits to the Phoenix Zoo and eight ferrets, so uh, some of them kits, some of them adults, got released to the wild. And what was really fun for us, and for me in particular, having been there before, is that some of them were released at Matitsi, and you know, bringing it back full circle to the place that they were rediscovered. Arizona is a rich tapestry of animal life, and some of them need our help. If anyone listening to this episode feels compelled to do so, Tara Harris and Tom Jones had some advice to give. These threatened and endangered species that we work with here at the Phoenix Zoo's Johnson Conservation Center are Arizonans just like you and me. And they play important roles in the ecosystem. And even if you've never heard of them before or have never seen one in the wild, they are part of what makes Arizona, Arizona and they're part of what makes this place so special and unique. I would say one of the ways that anybody can help out is if they see an animal that they think is interesting, take a photo with your phone, put it on a, one of the many social media sites like iNaturalist, and we can access that information and add it to our data set, our databases. If someone finds something that's particularly unusual, they can contact any of the offices of the Game and Fish Department to report it. Those observations are invaluable to us. Uh, we have had just people off the street take photographs of rare species and they let us know and all of a sudden we have a new location for something we didn't know occurred at that spot. So that's an easy way for the public to engage in conservation. And if you need a way to try and determine what exactly it is that you found, there are lots of resources out there, such as the book, A Field Guide to Amphibians and Reptiles in Arizona. And you can support the efforts of conservation groups around you, such as the Phoenix Zoo, AZ Game and Fish, and the Sonoran Desert Museum. 
And remember, if you do happen to see any of these animals, they are still wild. Do not approach them, help them, or try to feed them. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Valley 101. Have you been lucky enough to see any endangered species native to Arizona? After you share your picks with AZ Game and Fish, be sure to share them with us too on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. If you have any questions about Metro Phoenix or beyond, please submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com. If you're a fan of the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm producer Thomas France. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week. Music